Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series in the book of Romans today, Lifestyle of the Gospel. So let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 13, verses 11 to 14, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message titled, The Night is Nearly Gone. There are a number of passages in Scripture that urge Christians not to give up, not to become discouraged, not to grow weary. And the reason why we might become weary is because on this side of eternity, all of life is a fight. We're locked into a warfare with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And this battle is all-consuming. You know, there are many in our day, as there have been in many in the past, who have apostatized, abandoned their faith, because the fight just became too hard. And if I might interject here, if you don't think you're called upon to contend for your faith or to fight for it or to engage in warfare, well, you've been misled. And against this background of contending for our faith, the Bible encourages us not to give up. Listen to Galatians 6 verse 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season you will reap if we do not give up. And 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 13 says, As for you brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. In Hebrews 12 verse 3, Consider him, that is Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. You know, behind all of those verses is the assumption of a struggle, whether it's the hostility of those who oppose us or the fight with temptation to surrender to the sins of the flesh, or whether it's the pressure of the culture in which we live to finally just give in or to go with the flow. See, the danger of the believer becoming weary, well, that's a real danger. In truth, the Holy Spirit has been given to strengthen us in those hours when we feel weak. But we also need encouragement. We need motivation. That's why the writer of Hebrews told us to consider Jesus. Think about him, he says. Think about the pressure that he was constantly under. You know, I love how the Holman Christian Standard Bible renders Mark 14, 34. Jesus is speaking and he says, My soul is swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. We need to think about the full humanity of Jesus, and we need to consider what he endured, and we need to be encouraged by that. For God can give us the courage to endure as well. I remember Paul's word to the Philippians. He, he was speaking about the fact that his dear friend and fellow worker Epaphrodites had, had almost died. In Philippians 2.27, Paul says of Epaphrodites, indeed he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul says, God knew just how spent I was. I could hardly go on. And God did not allow me to be tried beyond what I was able to bear. And then out of an act of grace, he had mercy on Epaphrodites. Listen to the words of Jesus to the church in Ephesus recorded in Revelation 2 verse 3. He said, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. Or listen to the command he gives to the church in Smyrna, Revelation 2.10. Be faithful unto death, he commands, and then he promises, I will give you the crown of life. Now, I mention all of those verses both to prepare for a study in Romans 13, 11 to 14, but also 
so we don't fall victim to some of, what shall I say, ridiculous theology that seems to come up constantly. There is in some circles this misperception that all you do is pray the sinner's prayer, then you get your eternity taken care of, and after that, obedience and the fight for the kingdom and the, and the wiles of the enemy of your soul. Well, that's just an optional fight. You're encouraged in this theology to opt in, but you might be a conscientious objector and opt out. But either way, you're okay. That's not biblical teaching. The Bible makes it clear from passages like the end of the book of Ephesians that we are to put on the full armor of God and prepare to take our stand in warfare against the demonic host that seeks our undoing. You know, some of my favorite hymns are hymns like Onward Christian Soldiers and Am I a Soldier of the Cross? I I love those hymns because they are a call to arms. They're They're a call to warfare, a call to engage in the fight. They are an accurate portrayal of the Christian life. In Isaac Watts' hymn, Am I a Soldier of the Cross? He writes, Since I must fight if I would reign, increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by thy word. Okay, I think we've set the table. We're in warfare, so now let's read Romans 13, 11 to 14. Paul writes, Beside this you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. You know, in order to understand this passage, we need to see it as a motivation for the Christian lifestyle. The English Standard Bible begins verse 11 with the words, Beside this, you know the time that the hour has come. That's to say, besides all the other things I've been teaching about the Christian lifestyle, you also need to concentrate on the fact that the hour has come. But a completely literal translation would say, and this, knowing the time because the hour has come. Now, I point this out so that we can get a sense of Paul's thinking on this matter. As he has been explaining the Christian lifestyle, everything from thinking of yourself more humbly than before, and committing to the local church, uh, to loving your enemies, submitting to governing authorities, loving your neighbor as yourself, it's as if Paul is saying, do this, and then do this, and do this, and then in our passage he adds, and this. And of course, the this is referring to the, the casting off of all the works of darkness. It's as if Paul is now moving us to the climax in in discussing the Christian lifestyle. Now, as we examine this passage, let's divide it into three sections. The first section from verses 11 to 12a is the motivation for the command that Paul will give. That motivation is that the night is nearly gone. And then the second section from 12b to verse 13 is the actual command. Pick up the fight, put on the armor of light, fight against all the temptations to live a life of sensuality. And then in verse 14 is the the positive command that makes everything else possible. Wrap yourself up, says Paul, in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's where we're going. Let's start then with the motivation for the life of purity. Let's read it again. Besides this, or 
And this, knowing the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For our salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. See, at the outset, we should know that Paul is speaking to us about the second coming of our Lord. All Christians are to wait expectantly for the return of Jesus, and Paul is calling us to live in that expectancy. The night, he says, is far gone, and and the image is this. We are now living in a time of great moral darkness, but the darkness won't continue. But that's not all that Paul is saying. He's saying so much more than the darkness won't continue. He seems to be saying that the first rays of morning are about to break upon us. The day is at hand. But it is at this very point that the thoughtful Bible reader will want to stop and ponder. You know, is this the case? I mean, after all, Paul wrote those words nearly 2,000 years ago, and given that the night has gone on for 2,000 years since he wrote those words, does it not seem wrong when he says the night is far gone, that the day is at hand? Let's step back for a moment, and I promise to come back to that, but, but let's step back for a moment and have a look at what the rest of the New Testament says about the second coming of Jesus. First, the words of Jesus himself recorded in Matthew 24, 36. But concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. Or how about Jesus' words to his disciples just before his ascension into heaven? It's recorded in Acts 1, verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So clearly, from Jesus, we have a very clear statement that we are not to guess how close we are to the second coming. We have to assume, therefore, that that Paul is in full agreement with this. But there's more. Paul himself seems to indicate in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 to 4, that he expected the Antichrist to appear before the coming of the Lord, in which he seems to say the night is about to get a whole awful lot darker before the end will come. And we also remember that Jesus himself taught, it's recorded in Matthew 24, 14, that the gospel would be preached to all the world and only then would the end come. Given that when Paul was writing this letter to the Romans, he still anticipated going to Spain, he surely must have believed that there were still many people who had not yet heard. The Advent season is a special time of year, but it can get lost in the bright lights of the Christmas season. This month, join Dr. John Newfeld and special musical guest Brian Dirksen, the Arias, and the Pilkey sisters as they walk us through the weeks of Advent, preparing our hearts for the celebration of Jesus' birth with an Advent celebration video series. Preparation takes practice, readiness, waiting, and allowing God to go beyond our expectations to fulfill His purpose for our lives. An Advent celebration can be viewed online at backtothebible.ca or on our Back to the Bible Canada YouTube channel. And together, let's pray for opportunities to be a messenger of joy in challenging days. Share the good news to those in need of renewed hope. For more information, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. I want to be clear. I believe that Christ can return at any time. 
See, we never know when the time of the end will tumble out upon us. And when Jesus said that this gospel must be preached to all nations before the end would come, you see, it's very difficult to tell when that task is done. Given that, we're always wrong to try to predict how close we are to the second coming of Jesus. Well, we're left still stumbling over Paul's words when he says in verse 12, the night is far gone. What does that mean? You know, in Paul's thinking, the death and resurrection of Jesus marked the great defeat of the powers of darkness. In Colossians 2.15, Paul writes that the rulers and authorities of darkness were put to open shame, and they were conquered when Christ died on the cross. And with his resurrection, a new era has already dawned. Death has already lost its authority and has been decidedly defeated. The first rays of morning have already begun to pierce into this world of darkness. Because of Christ's cross and because of the empty tomb, the night is far gone. This night can't survive. You see, Paul isn't telling us how soon we are to the second coming. He's not giving us a graph of of where we are in the prophetic timetable. He's telling us you must know that this present darkness can't prevail. The night is far gone. This night won't last. See, once we understand Paul's way of thinking, everything else makes sense. When he says that our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed, he's merely telling us that time is moving forward, and each day brings us closer to the day when the darkness is no more. And that's why he tells believers to wake up from their slumber. See, you sleep at night, but the night is ending, so so get up. That's the motivation. The day is almost here, and so your alarm should have wakened you. You don't belong to the night. You're children of the day. The first rays of the morning are already being felt. The day is beginning to brighten. Now, having given us that motivation for holy living, Paul then moves to the second section of this passage, the actual command. This is the fight he wants believers to engage in. Look again at verses 12b to 13. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. I want you to notice here that the darkness or the night that is fading consists in works of darkness. The darkness that is almost gone are are those works, and here Paul gives us a sampling of six of them orgies and drunkenness, sexual immorality and sensuality, quarreling and jealousy. He puts these six works into three pairings. And in Paul's day, the kind of sensuality he mentions, drunkenness and orgies, well, they were commonplace. There is no doubt that many of the Christians in the Roman church would have been one to faith in Christ out of that very kind of an environment. So let's examine the environment that was common in Roman paganism. Paul mentions orgies first, which were, of course, sex parties, and they were often given in honor of the god Dionysius. It was thought that spirituality and this kind of activity went hand in hand, and and this kind of activity also went along with unrestrained consumption of alcohol. And so it takes very little imagination to realize that everything from unwanted pregnancies, to the many abortions that were common in the ancient world, 
along with venereal diseases and the alcoholism that followed. Indeed, it's right to call this an activity that leads to death. The second pairing in this passage is sexual immorality and sensuality. And in some ways, one wonders why Paul would mention this at all, because at least in our minds, this is simply repeating of himself. But the word sexual immorality here is not the Greek word porneia, but instead it's the Greek word koite, which sometimes deals with the lying down in a bed. Some word studies see this word as directly related to the violation of the marriage bed. God designed sex for the marriage bed, says Paul. And here he goes well beyond pagan sex parties. Believers, he said, are to call all sexual acts outside of marriage unclean. And so Paul adds to koite the word sensuality. The Greek word refers to sexual behavior that lacks moral restraint. And so, whereas in the first pairing, Paul speaks about what happens in pagan sexual slash spiritual gatherings, and in the second pairing, he refers to anything that happens outside the marriage bed. The third pairing moves beyond the sexual to the general lives of God's people. Strife and jealousy happens to relationships when restraint is gone. People are out for themselves and do untold damage to each other. Now, those of you who are history buffs might remember that this verse had a very profound effect in Christian history. It was September of 386 when Augustine, at that time still a pagan, sat weeping in the garden of a friend in Milan in Italy. He heard a child or children singing in the background. The words were tole lege, tole lege. That's Latin. Those words mean take up and read, take up and read. Those words he later wrote in his book, The Confessions, were words that God used to inspire him to pick up a scroll of the book of Romans, which was then lying beside him. And then his eyes fell on this very passage. And it's fascinating that this is the very text that was used to convert a man who was surely the greatest Christian theologian in a thousand years. These words from Romans woke him from his slumber. And suddenly he saw the distinction between darkness and light. See, I wonder if you find it surprising that such a verse converted Augustine. That's because Augustine and all Christians before him saw conversion exactly as Paul describes it in this passage. Notice the last part of verse 12 again. Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. See, listen, that's what conversion is. It's throwing aside the darkness of the present era, the darkness of the world that is passing away, And it is now to align ourselves with the new era. See, I emphasize that here because this very thing is absent in the minds of many people. See, for them, conversion is a spiritual experience to be sure, but it doesn't necessarily mean moral transformation. But remember, this section of scripture is about the lifestyle of the gospel. Saving faith always precipitates a lifestyle change. And it's not unusual for a person to look at the lifestyle they're they're presently in and to despair the, the lifestyle they are in, and then to hear the call of Christ and cast off the works of darkness because they hear that the night is coming to an end. Align yourself with the day and not the night. I think this is an excellent appeal to conversion. 
Why should you remain in the night, a night that destroys your soul and a night that is coming to an end? Why not embrace the gospel of light? And by the way, if you're listening to me right now at this moment, you need to hear an invitation. Abandon the darkness. Come to the light. But how do we do that? Well, notice again the last verse in chapter 13. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. By the way, if you're keeping track, this is the third section of this passage. The first was the promise that the night was coming to an end. The second was the command, abandon the works of the night. And now finally, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Another translation says, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. But as John Stott said it so well, the context here is probably less that of putting on clothing and more putting on of armor. This is an invitation to battle. Coming to Christ is an enlistment in his army. The clothing of Christ is our armor. The clothing of Christ is a call to arms. It's the very thing I started this message with. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. Or I must fight if I would reign and increase my courage, Lord. You see, even while it's true that that Christ will bring this night to an end, the very act of conversion means that we're fighting for the light even while the darkness will eventually recede. We prove ourselves as God's people as we clothe ourselves with Jesus himself, who is our armor against the darkness. See, that's the great difference between a conversion of convenience and a conversion to Christ. Conversion to Christ is complete conversion to the light and a rejection of darkness. That's the invitation. John, a great message today. Let me take you back to what you said earlier. You said saving faith always precipitates a lifestyle change. I think that's at the core of what you're trying to say today. And yet there's a movement that would say something else about God's grace covers all those things, so don't worry about your lifestyle. Yeah, it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer that called that cheap grace. Uh, Historically, that's been called antinomianism. It's called lawlessness. It's this idea that I can be on good terms with Christ even while I still embrace the darkness, walk in darkness, and only practice darkness. See, uh, the darkness and the light can't mix. A call to Christ is a call to put on the armor of light. And, And I love the warfare hymns, Ben, because they remind us that this world is not our home and that we fight so that we would reign with Christ. Yeah, am I not a soldier of the cross? Thanks so much, John. And join us again tomorrow as we continue this series in the book of Romans right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. By the time you hear this, Christmas excitement has already begun to fill the air. Our Yuletide expectations are seeded by childhood memories, media hype, vendor advertising and church traditions. We forecast Christmas with such heightened hopes that can often disappoint Christmas morning. Well, this month, Dr. John shares a new Christmas series called The Hope of the Ages, presenting Jesus as the fulfillment of God's intent. Jesus, the fulfillment of our Christmas aspirations, the hope of the ages. It's a message that must be shared year round and your partnership makes that possible. 
Thanks for all you do. And please continue to stand with us as we strive toward our year-end goal of $490,000 by December 31st. Just call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.